welcome to a episode of We're Not Wizards. It is 2018. How about that? 2018 is like the difference between me kind of 18 years ago and me now. Because the number one is what I look like 18 years ago and the number eight is what I look like now. So <laughs> that's how it is. So, <laughs> so um, thank you for joining us. Um, the tonight is, or today or this morning, or depending on whenever you're listening, um, we're going to be talking to Brandon Rollins from Pangea Games, but he's also known as Brandon the Game Dev, and Brandon is here to talk a little bit about himself, he's here to talk a little bit about his up-and-coming Kickstarter project, and he's also here to talk about the blog. We're just going to do kind of like a bit of a work in progress, kind of getting to know you type of episode. Um, because as we all know I'm a very nosy person, I like to get people on to find out a little bit more about them in tight and sometimes pick the tiny corners of their minds, so hello Brandon Oh, hello, thank you for having me on this is exciting. No, thank you for coming on um, we've been talking back and, we've been talking back and forward I get your blog on a regular basis which is a good read and we kind of I think it was early the well, at the very, very end of last year, we went, oh, shall we shall we get together and have a chat? So I think that's kind of how everything kind of worked out and came together. So thank you. As I say, thanks very, very much for coming on. Mm-hmm. The reason that we do this for um, anybody that hasn't listened to the show before is because we still wholeheartedly believe that there are quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games. And the second reason that we're doing this is because we are starting off the new year with a bang and we've got a lot of people to talk to this month, so we're getting them in thick and we're getting them in fast. So that's why we have Brandon on the show, because as I say, we'd like to know a little bit more about him. Um, now, what we normally do is we um, we like to find out a little bit about your history. So we want to find out a little bit about... We'll have a little stare back at the past. We'll have a little kind of, I guess, a kind of a focus on the present before we kind of dash off down the highway of the future. Um, So do you want to start off maybe by telling us a little bit about how you kind of got into the hobby in general? In the most backwards way that you can imagine. (laughs) I started making my own game in like April of 2015, and I didn't have a whole lot of background in modern board games. Wasn't really familiar with, well, the fact that there's just so many incredible things out there. I just started working on a game called Warco, which is now published. It was kickstarted in, well, not last year, because last year is now 2017, but 2016. Okay. I chased that for a while, and after a few months of just being online and talking to a lot of people, I realized that there were tons and tons and tons of board games out there, and I didn't even know this was a thing. (laughs) I got into hobby board gaming by being a designer first and then finding out other games. I I started playing everything I could get my hands on after that. That is an incredibly backwards way to do things. You're completely correct. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Did you sit then and you go, I know, I've got an idea. Um, I know there's games like Monopoly and Risk and stuff like that. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this genre and I'm gonna bring it 
kicking and screaming into the new decade. <laughs> and I'm going to invent Pretty more. much. It was pretty much like that. I was, I was, I, I thought of it like, well, I'll just make, I'll just make a simpler version of magic. Like, that's what I told myself. <laughs> that's where my mindset was for a little while in 2015. So, what was the dawning moment that you realized that actually, um, when you, there was like a rabbit hole that led you into a whole new world. I mean, was there a particular moment when somebody said, well, have you played Car- Carcassonne? Have you, have you played all these other games? <laughs> <laughs> that was really early on in 2016, or maybe even a little bit before then, I would say somebody just started asking me like, oh, do you know of all these games? You know of Carcassonne and Pandemic and, you know, all these really big names, Ticket to Ride, <laughs> stuff like that. And I'm just like, I know, I'll check them out. Did you <laughs> start grabbing stuff at, at thrift shops and playing them like that? You have like the hundred mile stare. You were just like looking off into the distance and you're like, no. Like, like, oh my God, this is a thing. <laughs> this is a thing. This is a real, this is a real industry with hundreds of millions of dollars going through it already. Yeah, just... it was a pretty sudden epiphany, believe it or not. I feel like people take it for granted that, like, board <clears throat> games are a huge, huge, huge thing. No. And to everybody who doesn't know that, you know, they find out, they, go, they walk into a, a comic shop and they see a hundred board games and they're just like, I didn't know that was a thing. I think it happens. I think it happens more often than not. I think we've said on multiple Probably. multiple occasions that um the board game industry um still manages to um well okay, you can walk into a Walmart Walmart and you can pick up like a video game. Yeah, they have shelving for that. You can't really kinda of walk into a lot of the major retailers and find like shelves and shelves and shelves of board games. You still gotta find kinda of, like specialist shops and it's only now that you're starting to see kind of, you know, it's only been recently that I'm starting to see Sheriff of Nottingham kind of stick up on kind of like board game and kind of like local bookstore, uh, bookstores or, yeah. you know, the like. So, no, I mean, it's, um, no, I mean, you still ask people what's board games about and they'll still tell, well, you know, maybe, maybe Carcassonne, you know, people maybe talk about Catan. They'll talk about Monopoly Gamer and stuff like that because the Monopoly brand seems to have tried to, rebrand itself or change what it's doing and introduce different mechanics so that's a that's a kind of a different a different ways but i would be really interested to see how they manage to do that if they choose to do that everybody gives monopoly a lot of grief and they should there's a lot of bad mechanics in there but i would really like to see either a fan edit or like an official one where they fix a lot of like the runaway leader problems stuff like that i think there's always um I don't know. I mean, I've seen. Um, have you played Monop- Have you actually tried Monopoly Gamer? It's got like they've taken actually the Mario characters. So you've got Mario, you've got um, Donkey Kong, you've got um, Toad, you've got the you've got you know a couple. They've got a cast of characters, and what they've done is they've they've turned it almost into like a miniature, a miniature kind of like Mario game where you're kind of battling each other to kind of get around the board and then have a, like a boss battle. So they've complete, they've completely changed it. They've made it slightly more co, slightly more cooperative. But it's an awful lot of fun, and it's the, I think it's the most fun I've had with Monopoly in a long, long time. Low bar, but that's still a mind blowing thing <laughs> that they're actually trying to change that, change up their style. Like that's a really good move, I think. Yeah, well, they've done the thing where they've made, they've made um, because they've got the Mario IP. 
they've now got you can get the collector's edition which has extra characters but they've also got booster characters booster packs so you can actually open them up and you get other characters from the Mario universe to play on your Mar- Monopoly game or board game. It's a strange... It's like yeah. Monopoly the Gathering. <laughs> oh, let's not go there. I promise that. I mean, <laughs> New Year resolution to talk about magic is as is, is, um, is least as possible and we've already got, gone off to a, got off to a bad start. Um, well, why would we talk about magic? We're not with <laughs> That's pretty much right. <laughs> So, so I have an analogy. I have an analogy for like what I see happening in board games as far as how they relate to like um, a pop cultural kind of mainstream. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'll be right. Maybe I'll be wrong. Who knows? Uh, revisit this in five years. You know, around like 2008, when superhero movies like by Marvel were just starting to become a lot more of a thing. Like I'm talking between. The first Iron Man and Avengers. Yeah, yeah. That period where it was really starting to build steam. Yeah, yeah. I gotta wonder if we're not in something like that for hobby board games, where it's just starting to get into Target, where it's just starting to get into Barnes & Noble. It's been a thing for a long time. Um, a lot of people have loved board games for a long time, but it might just be breaking into the mainstream beyond a handful of anomalies i think because there's um i think because there's money in it i think because yeah. i think um i think the kickstarter revolution has really helped it because they're now saying that um they're now saying that board game kickstarters now make more money than video game kickstarters which is probably which is crazy probably well you know it's probably not a i can see it it's not a staggering fact to me, considering that pretty much the I guess the route to getting into being a board having a board game Kickstarter is probably a little bit easier than maybe getting a video game starter kind of up, depending on obviously the amount of cash that you that you have. Right. But I see the analogy, yeah. Totally. I think um it's there's columns in newspapers and we're not just getting the here's the top ten board games that you should be playing with your family for Christmas and you can see games like King Domino kind of sneaking in and and not every yeah. not every article about playing kind of games with your friends has a kind of a headline talking about cards cards against humanity which seemed to be kind of like the buzzword amongst the you know amongst the press that didn't know that other other kind of games kind of existed so you I've I've still got a handful of friends in college who are starting to pick up you know, hobby board games like off of Kickstarter mm-hmm. or that was started on Kickstarter. I'm getting almost slightly out of that age range where I still know people in college, but like those who <laughs> I still know are starting to pick up board games like that. Yeah, I know people going to college. They're almost, <laughs> it's like people going to college is like my daughter and son in about seven years' time now, so that's where I am with that, you know. I'll be, dro- I'll be dropping them off to like and coming and getting them from college. I will <laughs> I can't see. Mm-hmm. I can't. If I hang around with college, I'm going to get kind of arrested, pretty much. Uh, they'll, they'll show. <laughs> you're, you're, they'll just come back from college to, to raid your fridge yeah. and, and fall asleep. Yeah, pretty much. That's how it's going to be. Um, so, in the couple of years that you've gone from designing games to discovering games, which is amazing, um, what kind of? I mean, have you ma- amassed quite a reasonable collection? Kind of since then, do you have a proud wall of cardboard behind you just now? I am a, 
I'm a bit of a minimalist when it comes to actual possessions. I, I've got, like, board game possessions. I've got maybe, oh, my my closet's halfway cracked and this headset's on a wire, so I'm trying to estimate it. <laughs> 15 or 20? 15 or 20 up there. Um, some of them are prototypes that people have sent to me, too, which I've had a lot of fun with. I play most of them either in meetup groups yeah. or... Um, sometimes people have board game nights at their home, so I'll play that there. Mm -hmm. Um, tabletop sim. It's becoming more of a thing when I'm doing that testing online. Yeah. Is that just so that you don't have to end up with a, like, as you said, a closet full of games? Because 15 to 20 games, you know, you're falling into the snobs amongst the, the, the crowd would go, he's a bit of a casual gamer, that one, 15 to 20 games. <laughs> but then you see people that have got, I've got 175, and it's like, have you played them all? Um, that's not the point. <laughs> right, I don't like to own things I don't use. Like, my threshold for buying something is it's either real cheap, yeah. or it's something I'm just going to play like three, four, five, or more times. That's my thing. And everything else, you can get such a wide array of experiences just by playing games with other people. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's better because they will teach you the rules. You can glean some of the strategy from them. And you can like you can get a feeling for how games are actually intended to be played. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the danger with having so many games is that you end up trying to play through the games to get through them and not having the luxury or the enjoyability of learning the different levels and the different depths of kind of strategy. I mean, let's face it, if you go back to something like Monopoly, you played it 20 million times with your parents, but you knew exactly how you were going to play things. You knew exactly what, you know, what your, you know, you knew exactly what, you know, what your strategy was going to be. You knew exactly, right. you know, when you were going to play a card. You knew, ex you know, you learned how other people were going to play. And sometimes with you having 175 board games behind you, which isn't me, not yet, um, mm -hmm. you end up rushing through playing a game once to just say, well, I've played that one because I want to get it off my pile of shame, which you hear an awful lot of <laughs> pile of shame. It wasn't video games. Ah, PlayStation Plus, I've got a pile, I've got a pile of 50, 70 games I've not played and you've got 30 hours each, I'm never going to play them until I retire. But you see board games now yeah. saying, well, I'm, my first promise is not to buy as many board games as I did last year because I'm going to end up not playing any of them. So I can understand. If you're right. getting them all played, Brandon, then hats off to you. You know, you're... Um, I will say... There's another advantage to just having a handful and playing a lot at shops. Yeah. You can save your money to buy <laughs> art to make board games. I'm a young man. I just started my career a few years ago. I mean, like, I, I got to make it happen somehow. <laughs> so is that what you're doing then? You're kind of, I will play games for <laughs> and scrimp and save as much as possible because art's expensive. Art yeah. costs an absolute fortune. I mean, it's a well. I've got I've got friends who help me do this, and I've found a lot of wonderful professionals who are able to handle art yeah. pretty well and for a reasonable cost. But yeah, it's still something you gotta think ahead. It's not even the overall thing. It's that you have to pay for a lot before you go to the Kickstarter. Yeah, especially when you're relatively unproven. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that before. I've seen. Um, I've seen the kind of I'm not backing that person because they haven't previously they haven't had any projects out 
But a strange as well that I've also seen is they've not had any projects out, but they also haven't backed that many projects as well. So I've seen that mm. kind of come up quite a few, kind of quite a few times. Do you? I mean, are you? Do you back regularly yourself on Kickstarter, or is it something that you kind of dip into now and again? I actually have backed quite a few Kickstarters. Hmm. Now, a lot of them I'll just do to get on the newsletter because I like keeping up with things. But if I see something like by a friend of mine or something that looks really, really, really good, I will go in for the full thing. Like, I want to say the last one that I backed was Stellar Leap because I knew Carla was doing that and I wanted to back that. Yeah. Because I've like I've been following Weird Giraffes and... And what her and Nick have been doing, and they're cool people. So I wanted to, I wanted to see that all the way through. Yeah, that's like conditions under which I'll, I'll go in for a game. Yeah, Carlo, Carlo was on the show um, just before, or I think in the same week that Stellar Leap was kind of um, launching, and she was, she, um, she was a joy to have on. Genuinely, just lovely, lovely lady to have a have a good old chat with and mm-hmm. the energy and the enthusiasm that she had for a game and it's one of these things is you kind of end up getting involved in the project or you don't mean to get involved in the project because you know that they're kind of you gen, you chat with them a little bit away from the podcast and you find out that you know you kind of are almost willing it to kind of fund <laughs> Cause it's like yeah. it's like when you have a guest, it's like you automatically become almost like one of my surrogate children. And if I'm looking at the campaign, it's like, no, do this, no, do that. And when you see them fund, you're like, yes, that's so mm-hmm. good. It's so fantastic. So it's no, I mean, um, I think they're um, she's currently prototyping her next game, Fire in the Library, which I saw a prototype of at Atlanta at Proto Spiel Atlanta, which is between our two cities or pretty close to them. Yeah. So yeah, was it, did it? They had that in the works in October. Oh, it's, I've heard um, she's she's very excited by it, but I've also heard there's been a lot, a lot of a little bit of buzz about it on the social media from the people that I've seen that managed to get their hands on it. It's, it seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of fun has been kind of had so far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What else have, have there anything else that you backed recently? I mean, would you with your kind of you said yourself your minimalist kind of. Um, view on life you know lifestyle and things like that are you the type of are you the type of guy that's got any kind of simon games in your closet <laughs> is there any of those there? I, i've actually got to double check that to see if i've got simon <laughs> on one of these box oh dear oh no i don't think i do no. i don't think i do i had to think about that for a second have you you've not got any kind of like big box games or anything like that no no although i will say well no, no, I don't really have any big box games. I'm having to think about what qualifies as big box <laughs> to board gamers. I would say a big box is... I think it's a big box. <laughs> I think if you look at a box and it's not a small... I think, to me, a big box board game would be a game with a reasonable amount of cardboard and also a reasonable amount of miniatures. You know, so like... Um, Dinosaur Island. Wasteland Express Delivery Service... Rising Sun. I'd charge them as kind of your big box games. Humongous box games. Is that's like Kingdom Death, isn't it? <laughs> and Gloomhaven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't own any yet. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
I mean, is that, I mean, what's your kind of your current kind of, I mean, you mentioned kind of prototypes, but is there stuff you're kind of, you're playing at the moment? I mean, have you played the likes of, you know, Rising Sun? Have you seen kind of Gloomhaven or anything like that? Then? No, a lot of what I've had access to lately is stuff that's going on in my Discord, like State of Wonder is an, is something going on um, by Emil. I don't, actually, I'm, I'm trying to think about whether uh, whether you've spoken to him yet. No, I haven't, no. not spoken to mm. Emil yet. But um, by all means, put them, send them my way. Would be interested. Always interested in speaking to mm-hmm. to people all the time. So you, as you said, is it more kind of the prototype type of thing then? Are you, I mean, is there anything that you're playing that at the moment that you're kind of really enjoying then? Okay, I'll, I'm gonna fess up to a guilty pleasure. Go on then. Right, okay. Okay. Wait. Wait. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my. Just now, very recently, became my girlfriend had was like, I want you to play this game, and it's called Mary Mister Darcy. And it's like a Kickstarter from like five years or something, and the whole the whole concept is to like make yourself attractive to potential suitors. I think that's like the last thing I played, but because she likes it and it's a pretty good game and it's uh, extremely funny, we'll keep doing that. Just pod- podcast ends there. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, podcast no, that's it finished no um no you don't judge podcast you can't answers. judge you can't no i mean people like what they like that's the whole point of board games if everybody liked the same thing on board games then all you would get you would get 1500 copies of gloomhaven on people's shelves and that and that would be it or you know well, my, culture or my something. real my real answers, my eternal favorites, are actually a lot more common answers like Pandemic, Twilight Struggle, because that's on Steam. I've played that a lot. All right, okay. Played that like a lot, a lot. I got a history buff friend who does not play board games to play that with me. Oh, okay. He was just super into the theme. I'm like, all right, do you want to play this? I'll teach you how it works. It's going to take like forever for you, us to, you know, for me to teach you this because this game is really complicated, but. <laughs> Kate, uh, Katie from Katie's Game Corner will be so thrilled to hear that the Twilight Struggles getting continually to get played because she's like a huge fan of that game. It's a really good game. I think like the only thing, the only thing that scares people off is there's like this. There's if you play it alone, it's like a ten fifteen game learning curve. Yeah. If you play it with someone who knows what they're doing, it's still like a five game learning curve. Yeah. Before you're making coherent strategies. But, as a, it, but once you yeah. once you know what all the cards do, and, and once you've got an idea of like which regions to take control of when you're playing as the U.S. or the U.S.S.R., it helps a lot. Yeah, but it's going back to what we said earlier on. If you're you know, if you've got a massive game collection and you're only able, to, if you're only playing a game once in order to get it played, you sometimes don't learn these little intricacies that can can I guess can elevate a game from just being rather fun and enjoyable to be something you can become I have to play this game you can get you can become obsessed about it you know to the same level you see right. people you know learning strategies on magic and <clears throat> things like that you know the you know the, that kind of knowing the meta game and how to kind of play it which is kind of kind of interesting do you have your own copy your actual you, you got your own cardboard copy of Twilight Struggle as well then I wish I did. I only have the Steam version right now, cause, cause like I all I've got in my all I've got in my home is um, my brother's in my in my spare room and he won't play Twilight Struggle, so I'm like, well, I guess I'll just play it on Steam and find some friends online. 
And is um is it your place or is it your brother's place? It's my place. And you, I think there's a potentiality to maybe say, right, okay, what's your brother's name? His name is Austin. Austin. So you just say, Austin, listen, mm-hmm. it's Twilight Struggle, or it's packing your bags and going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just, oh. just play the guilt card and just say, listen, if you really liked me as a brother, you would sit down, you would play this game. And he'll love it, you know. I might just have to do that. And if I get a phone call, <laughs> if I get a phone call from from home, if I get a phone call from Nashville, I'll say, Mom, I had to kick him out. <laughs> and it's like, what? He wouldn't play Twilight Struggle exactly. with me. And it's like... He said something about having to go to work. You can just imagine him shouting from the corner, I can't believe you played the mom card. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean... It's more overpowered than the China card. <laughs> it's in a special sealed e- envelope. It's the Twilight Struggle Legacy game. <laughs> it's, I'm going to get... I'm going to the president's mum on the phone. Oh, you can't do that, you actual scumbag. Um, <laughs> but um, is that a what... If they make a legacy game, if they make a legacy game, I'm going to, like, take a month off and I'll have a beard. It'll be ridiculous. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, so you obviously you you kickstarted your first game, and then mm-hmm. from the experiences that you obviously um, kind of gained from kickstarting your first game, you started the blog. What I mean, That's what right. made you decide to kind of sit down and say, well, you know. I'm going to write all about, I'm going to write this down because there are, obviously, there's guys, there's other people out there that are writing, you know, let's talk, let's talk about the Jamie Stegmaier in the room. Right. Who talks about his kickstart. So what, what made you think, um, what made you think that you were just, I'm going to go and write a blog? Was it to give a different perspective? Was it maybe giving it from the viewpoint of somebody that was fairly green to the industry and kind of learning all these new things? When you, when you were doing the first kind of Kickstarter campaign? That second one pretty much hits it on the head because I have read every single post of Kickstarter's, uh, of, of Jamie Stegmeier's Kickstarter lessons and his book too. I've read a lot of James Maith. I've read a lot of, you know, just design blogs, board game design labs, stuff like that. And I've found that the one thing I felt like was missing or the one thing that I could contribute was just to help fill that gap from what I call like the zero to two year gap. I feel like that's what scares off a lot of people who are potentially interested in doing something like this. I wanted to do um, something where I assume you knew nothing about the board game industry. Like it was just a wild idea you had and you had no idea how to, how to get something manufactured or published or marketed. And like, I'm going to write down, Every single thing Mm -hmm. I can think of to help people do that, to help people go from knowing nothing to being published, and I'm going to do this in a really systematic way that people can follow. That was the idea. And it took me a while to find that particular voice. It took me a few months to decide that's the angle I wanted to approach it from. Was it a bit daunting knowing that you were going to be after the works, you know, obviously the the dev diaries that were being put out by, you know, that were out there for you to say, well, you know, put your voice out there, you know, obviously almost putting your flag to the mast 
kind of thing and seeing what was happening. Was that kind of like a daunting prospect? Did you at any point kind of write stuff out and then say, no, 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 I'll just, I'm going to re, how many rewrites did you do? Did you do a lot of rewrites or were you fairly confident to say, I'm just going to put this out there and see what people think? It's always daunting to put your ideas out there. It's, it's nerve wracking. I mean, you want people to like them. You want people to find them helpful. Um, I've done some rewrites. A lot of it, a lot of it doesn't look like saved drafts filling up WordPress or, or a bunch of Word documents. A lot of it just looks like me hitting the backspace button for a really long time and starting from the beginning. Um, I I started shutting that down real quick because a lot of that just comes from um, a, a misguided belief that you have like nothing to contribute or, or, or that or that somebody's going to do it better. The best way I know to fight back against the urge to just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite is to pick a subject, just a good one. Don't even try and find a perfect one. Just find a good one. Ask around if you have to. Write an outline. Choose a word count and just hit hit that outline and hit that word count. Mm -hmm. And then proofread it and then publish it. Like, a lot of why I keep the timeline I do is just so I keep it going and I don't have time to to, you know, super critically um, tear my work down before it ever gets a chance to be up there. No, I mean, That's yeah. part of why I do two a week. Yeah. I think sometimes you just got to, um, especially if you're self-publishing, I think it can be difficult to to not over-edit or not to scrap entire bits. But at the same time, it's also having the self-discipline to run with an idea which didn't necessarily be the idea that you started off with. Uh, That's right. You know, I'm uh, I'm dilly-dallying with a bit of writing myself and I it's kind of it's a, it's a review. It's a review for an older board game and um, it'll be going out somewhere. I don't think it'll be going out in the We're Not Wizard website. But it is kind of going, well, am I trying to go for a particular angle? And now I've noticed that my angles changed about like five times. <laughs> while I've been yeah, it takes a it takes a while to find your voice. Yeah. I mean, like the whole the the current series that I'm doing, and that well, the both of the series that I'm doing, Dev Diary took six months of writing for me to come up with doing that. Yeah, and then start to finish took another three months after that. And yet, sometimes you just have to have to put a bunch of work out there just to see what works for you and what works for your voice and your style and have you found is that um is that helped you to strategize for the up and coming kind of campaign that you're going to be launching then has it helped you kind of reassess the kind of the actions that you're going to take on this campaign um because i take it this is based around obviously um was based around war company which was your you know obviously your, right. your debt game so have you have you looked back on what you've written and actually said, well, do you know what? This time I, I should actually be doing this, or I should actually be doing that, or I should be doing something slightly differently. Yeah, I've I've had moments like that. Like um, I was thinking just pure Warco up until about March this year when I started working on Byways, my second game. Yeah. Um, and I have gone back and I've actually used. Okay, how, how, how would I put it this way? Like, when you 
earnestly try to teach somebody something, that is itself a way of learning yourself. So, like, I've cranked out all this documentation on, like, how I think, um, you know, best way to to spread the word on social media or best way to reach out to people. Here's a template mm. or, um, you know, just some emotional pitfalls to look out for because that stuff's important, too. I've I've written that down, read my own work, and I'm like, you know, there's an area here where I need to actually do what I said. <laughs> It happens. Every no, once I've while. seen it. I've seen it. I remember being on a, I remember being on a sales course, and um, the guy that was doing the sales course, it was just me and him. <laughs> it it kind of dawned on him quite quickly that half the stuff, half the stuff that he should have been covering in the sales course, he maybe should have done more of himself because it might meant he would have had more than one person <laughs> on his sales course, and it was more. A, it was more of the. Uh, it was more of what epiphany is 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 the guy gonna have today? Not the epiphany that I was gonna have because I was sitting there going, "Well, I kind of know a lot of this, but there's still stuff that I'm learning." But he was like going, "Yeah, I really need to." And I'm just like sitting there looking at him, going, "Well, maybe we should just sit next to each other instead of <laughs> you sitting and the, you telling me what to kind of do, <laughs> kind of thing." But no, I mean, I see, I see. Um, <clears throat> War company. Let's touch on that because we kind of glazed over it quite quickly. And it's like one of these things that's like, you, I mean, it funded. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what is it? I mean, what what is it? Is it a card game? Is it a board game? I mean, is it your big box game? Is it a miniatures game? Tell us a little bit about kind of War Company itself. Okay, so Warco is an expandable card game, pretty much just a fantasy flight friendly way of saying living card game. Yeah. In the vein of, let's say, Netrunner, it is based on a sci-fi corporate apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole concept of that game is it's just this really nasty war of attrition where you use your deck of 50 cards to run your opponent or opponents out of their deck of 50 cards. You can attack them to make them discard faster, or you can stave off your own losses or a combination of all of those things. Or you can start taking up their resources to leave them vulnerable if you take all their defenses away, stuff like that. All right, okay. And I noticed you, is it kind of like different decks and different factions on there? Is it just... This. Yes, it comes in six different decks, and they're uh, Bruiser, Conspirator, Gorilla, Militant, Trickster, and Mild Card. Oh, right, okay. And you can you can swap cards between each of the decks if you like, but they come in those particular sets because each one's got a little bit of a strategy on its own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was that a limited run that you did of Warco when you did it then? Was it just for the fulfillment of it? You still got quite a few kind of copies of the game? Left. I've still got a little bit of it sitting around, yeah. Alright, okay, okay. I mean, okay, here's a question for you then. Is it, once you've done the Kickstarter, because you've done the successful Kickstarter, is it then difficult to keep the game that you've done kind of going and keep the game that you've done kind of alive? Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. Like, one of the things I didn't really understand initially was that 
games tend to blow up really quickly around the launch, and it's hard to keep them alive unless you actively grow a community, unless you actively um, are talking to people about that on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you need a sales funnel, too. You need to constantly be bringing in new people who haven't heard of it, or people who have heard of it and haven't you know, actually bought it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to do at first. And after, I would say, March or April, I just started putting it on autopilot. I let the Warco social media run, and I'm like, I'm just going to focus on making a second game, and then maybe some more after that. Who knows what will happen? Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think that's maybe... Is that maybe one of the biggest flaws with Kickstarter, is that the it's all about the build-up to getting a campaign together, to raising awareness, to getting the game funded... But then where Kickstarter fails, not fails, but it provides a platform for the funding, but it doesn't necessarily help with the tail side of things. As in, once you get your product in there, it's kind of taking it to the next level and then potentially getting it into like a regular kind of retail market. Because I see, I mean, I see a lot of businesses talk about um, getting the retail tail you know, getting getting their game published, signing it with kind of like publishers and having having their game kind of hitting the stores on a regular basis. And one of the things that's aimed at Kickstarter is once even the most successful games out there, if they've not had a second run, then they can disappear into obscurity kind of thing. Which is it's a, true. It's a strange it's a kind of a strange situation. I mean is that <clears throat> is that with I mean, I mean, is your long-term plan to kind of get into kind of like a distribution model, or are you going to stick with a kind of the Kickstarter piece for now? I'm still figuring out what works. I'm still experimenting and gathering data, but I want to just agree with you for a minute on it. Absolutely, can be a problem for people to go into Kickstarter and have no idea what they're going to do afterward. It's easy to make a big splash, to build up a community, to tell people that this is the end, this is it, this is what it takes to get this game made, and then to just completely let it collapse or fade into obscurity. I feel like if you are going to make it as a game developer, from my observations, you either have to build up a really big backlog so that you can just get a little bit at a time on a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Or you have to um, start doing other services as well, which is what a lot of people will do. Like, they'll do preview videos and yeah. stuff like that. Or yeah. they'll help people with um, with board game-related services, uh, like business with, um, oh, marketing and logistics or shipping, stuff like that. Yeah, no, I've seen board game, I mean... Um... Board game spotlight. James Hudson, Derek Funkhauser. They're mm-hmm. doing, you know, they're doing the helping with the marketing. They're helping, you know, social media for businesses. They're helping with reviews and I think play testing is even something that they're doing. And these are all services that you can actually purchase from them. They're not just friends, you know. They're not just friends helping kind of friends out. So they're trying to do the kind of the kind of do the business model. I mean. I guess the other thing was looking at something like, say, Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven, massive success. Isaac needed to do another Kickstarter in order to get a reprint done of the game. It happens. It happens. You can raise a bunch of money and um, 
come time to actually print it again, your money was eaten up in taxes and other business projects, and you have to raise more. Or some people might even do that on purpose. It really depends on what they decide to do mm -hmm. or how they choose to um, run their business, what their model is. Mm -hmm. I feel like the real... You've either got to get into distribution or if you direct sell it, the difference between your game and anybody else's game has nothing to do with mechanics. It has nothing to do even with the theme. It's got everything to do with like who's playing it with who. It's got everything to do with relationships mm. and how people actually feel when they're playing the game. What you need... I feel to sell a game long term to go long after that Kickstarter to get years and years and years of play is just a community of people who just want to keep playing, and it doesn't even have to be a big one. It can just be a small, dedicated no. community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'll take a I'll take a small community. I'll take a small, dedicated community over a big, disengaged one any day. Yeah, I mean, you've got people like say Tim Fowers. Did Burgle Brothers and now Boarding and uh, Paperback, and he's got his website and he just you see it ticking along. <laughs> you go back in and he's got a bigger and bigger portfolio and and people seem to Burgle Brothers is still getting out there. He seems to be in this thing where he's running print runs of his own games to keep things going. He's got his nice little kind of distribution for himself, which seems to be kind of working out quite well for him. Um, which is good. And people talk about it. Yeah. I mean people I mean we've had him on the show and he was a you know, he was an interesting guy to have to kinda of have on because he's still obviously for some things he's hitting the Kickstarter route, like, you know, now boarding was his latest one. But you know that um unlike a lot of games there's going to be a tail on it. I'm going to be able to go into... If I... I can go on and, okay, I might be waiting a little while, while for maybe Burgo Brothers while there's maybe another reprint, but I definitely know I'm going to get my hands on a copy. Whereas, say... Um, what's this? I saw... I saw... Um, was it Buy, Air, Sea and Land recently, which was a huge massive big box kickstarter that i've seen put out in somebody's table and it looks like they were they were basically building an extension for their house but the game looks absolutely glorious and i was wondering <clears throat> am i ever going to be able to get my hands on that game without having to go for a trade on board game geek or pick try and get a copy on kind of ebay you know it's kind of interesting that way yeah it really depends on just the long-term business model and a lot of that stuff you just can't see on kickstarter no 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 but um i mean connecting up to kickstarter let's talk about um let's move on and uh let's not go the low way let's go the highway and let's talk about some highways and byways <laughs> that's the worst segue ever but i've decided <laughs> we're gonna roll we're with just it. gonna we're go gonna, we're gonna ride with that that's what we're gonna do um You've explained a little bit about Warco, which I'm guessing that you can go on and you can buy from your, your website if you're interested in purchasing copies. That's right. Yes, you can. That's right. Um, you're talking about, obviously, highways and byways. This is going to be the next project which you're looking at kind of a couple of months away before you're going to be putting that on Kickstarter. So would you like to tell the good people... Um, 
mostly Americans now as well, Brandon. Do you know that? That we've got more people downloading from the US of A than we have from the UK. So it must be either... Really? Yeah, I can't believe it. I looked at this. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. I can't even believe they understand him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I guess, you know, that's because there's more of you in America than there is in the UK. Or either that, I'm, you know... We're scaring off the UK audience. But um, do you want to tell us all a little bit about kind of highways and byways? I mean, how how do you go from kind of build, you know, putting together something like Warco into the highways and byways instead? When I made Warco, I made this this game of, of rules and exceptions and twists and turns, and it was a lot of fun, and I had a great time making it, but I wanted to do something different with highways and byways. And Highways and Byways is more of a family board game. Plays in about 45 to 60 minutes for two to four players. Mm -hmm. The whole idea is that you're just taking the most epic road trip across the USA that you can imagine. Like you're just getting your whole family or you're getting your college friends and you're just beater of a first car and you're just driving just to see how far you can go. All right. Okay. That's the whole concept. And um, how that actually manifests itself in gameplay is that you get to, at the beginning of the game, select routes from limited options by drafting, um, and you put pieces on those routes. You must complete those routes in their entirety and circle back to your home before anyone else does. However, you've got a hand of event cards and whatever um, is on the event card that gets pulled from your hand uh, more on that in a second is what happens to you during your turn so it's not just like you pick your route and, and you just and you just drive and drive and drive and it's dot counting like there is you have to strategize around these event cards that you get in your hand mm -hmm. how that works is the opponent clockwise of you just pulls one out of your hand at the beginning of every turn and whatever's on it positive or negative happens to you at the end of your turn yeah. you get to choose whether to move all your spaces or to trade in unmoved spaces like just basically drive a little less um you can trade that in to swap out cards from your hand all right okay mm -hmm. so it's like a and a couple of well, on you so it's like yeah on you go I, a couple like the only other two things i think um in the game is that every five turns you will pass your hands clockwise yeah so you will want to make your hand better and better and better up until the point that you want to make it worse and worse and worse <laughs> and then pass it off and it's all like it's a little tricky balancing act and every once in a while the highway that you want to travel will be undergoing construction and you have to plan around that so how is that is that done by through an event card is that through the deck or it, That's done by construction cards, which are five letter cards that correspond to letters on the board. All right. And right, and they all, they once they're all used up, you play out the rest of that turn, shuffle that deck, and then everybody passes their event hands. So you've got it counting off in the bottom right while you're as you're getting closer to passing your hands. So it sounds very much kind of risk reward and deck management. As in, mm -hmm. there's certain points where you can travel further. If you're traveling further, you can get ahead in your objective, but you risk 
having less control over your hand going over and potentially opening yourself up to setbacks on your route. That's right. Um, or you can slow right down, manage your hand more effectively, but the risk with doing that is if you build up a fantastic hand, if it's on turn number four, then you're going to end up handing over kind of pure gold to the person that you're kind of competing against. That's right. It's a lot of hand management, kind of pushing your luck a little bit too. But, um, and, and like each vehicle will have its own special, unique ability, usually related to event cards. So like it'll be immune to a certain negative thing. Or when you get a positive, it's even more positive. Or every time the, the hands are passed, you get to move extra spaces. So you kind of also want to move in accordance with what your vehicle does too. All right, okay. Do you have little model cars then? I want to do that in the Kickstarter. <laughs> For the review copies, I'm using pawns because the Game Crafter cars are too big. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I ordered a bunch of them too. I ordered a bunch of cars before actually measuring them. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm sending out pawns for now, but I would love to do little plastic cars as like a, a low stretch goal did you, on Kickstarter. Did you go a bit car, car crazy then? Did you go, I'll have a hundred of these? Well, all I'm saying is, do you need, like, 48 little plastic cars right now? Because uh, <laughs> that's how many I've got in my closet. Uh, my uh, my five-year-old um, would say yes, and I would probably say yes as well, because if we could have 24 each, then we would be happy. Um, I mean, are you looking at kind of... What's, it, what's the last game I've seen that's got tiny little cars? Formula D has got tiny little plastic cars in it. I take it the ones that you've got are bigger than the Formula D ones. They're only about two centimetres long at the most. Two centimetres. Yeah, that's probably about as much as it could be on that board. All right, okay. okay. Well, all you need to do is go out and buy 150 copies of Formula D. <laughs> then just <laughs> help yourself to the cars from there. Um, I'm just going to ship 150 copies of Formula <laughs> D to like a factory in China and ask them to <laughs> just, to, to sort the parts for me. Just get like a marker pen and just, you know, scrub out all the bits of the track that you don't need. <laughs> and then just we, uh, we, we run a cost-efficient operation at Pangea. <laughs> and an eco-friendly one, too. Absolutely. Um... Are you gonna have different type? Are you gonna have different types of cat transport? Are you gonna have like electric cars in there? Or are you gonna have the ability to have like wagons and stuff? You, I think you'll actually really like this. And there are six different vehicles, and they're all modeled after like really old, um, late eighties, early nineties kind of just beat up vehicles. Um, off the top of my head, there is an ancient Honda Civic that is immune to a accidents and repairs. Of course it is. Um, there's, an, there's a Jeep that smells like diesel and is immune to traffic and weather. I want to say... <laughs> uh, just thinking off the top of my head. Shoot, I made this. I should be able to think of it. There's 5 That's uh, That's an old beat-up Crown Vic. That's what we use for the uh, police cars here. And a lot of the times they'll sell them at... Um, They'll sell them at auctions, yeah. and people will be able to snap them up real cheap because they're decent cars uh, for what they are. Well, we got one of those. Um, Do you have a there's a station wagon. There is like an old school, like uh, like one of those family vacation movies, uh, station wagon. Like one of those is in there. 
Alright, okay. We've got a rusty pickup truck. Because why not? And uh, and a minivan with soccer ball sized dents in oh, it. Oh my goodness. You need a mule or a horse. <laughs> I would love to do that as a stretch goal. Like you have just to have to. just introduce more jokey just kind of vehicles. Just anything at all, you know. Penny farthing bike. I mean, that would be. <laughs> they'd be immune. They'd be immune to running out of petrol and stuff or gasoline. Yeah, do you have to fuel up then? I mean, is there losing out in gasoline? Is that one of the things that you have to do? Or believe it or not, I actually was playing around with both gas money and hotel mechanics way earlier in the game, but I actually ended up stripping them out because they were complicating it a lot okay. and kind of slowing it down. <laughs> so no, your get your 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 cars never run out of gas. That's pretty good. Cars never run out of gas. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Is it? I mean, is it? Do you have to be quite strict with the control and the mechanics then? I mean, do you, you know, you said you've already, I mean, you've just said I've stripped out a couple of mechanics that people would naturally, I would have naturally thought that would have been part of the game. Is it, do you end up, when you're doing your kind of design or putting all the ideas together, do you put all the ideas in and then see what sticks? And then you have to almost kind of shave down, like whittle, like a whittling a bit of wood down all the bits which you think aren't going to work until you have the final shape of the game. That's how it worked with Warco, which started with like 500 cards, and I turned it into 300 by the end. Byways, I just started with a map. I started with a map, which I simplified after I actually initially created that map. Um, and then I started adding a lot more mechanics to it, complex event cards i start adding a lot of construction uh, gas traffic or gas traffic gas um, money hotels that kind of stuff yeah and that's the point where i started stripping things away again and then i just kept stripping things away until uh, pretty much the end of the game the last thing i added was what is now like a flagship mechanic involving being able to trade in movement for discards at the end of your turn yeah yeah, that's the last thing that got added in. Did this all come from um, playtesting? I mean, with you, yes. Yeah. I mean, do you do? I mean, is playtesting one of the things that you really, really kind of get involved in? You obviously you mentioned um, protospiel. So, are you some someone? That, is that what? Do you are you always you know playtest? It's like where's Brandon? He's playtesting again, kind of thing. I do playtest a lot. <laughs> Uh, what my what my method is right now is I will play a few I'll play as many games by myself as it takes half games quarter games whatever uh, just to get it functioning and I won't let another human being see it until it is a functioning game like it needs to finish without quitting and then once I do that I'll say to my brother you want to help me on this you want to help me on this and and I'll talk him into doing that we'll play it a little bit. Uh, and then once we work on that more and more and more, and it actually starts looking good, then I start talking to people online through Discord, and we start playing it through Tabletop Simulator. All right, okay. Get better and better and better at that. I start playing it with family, start going to local game shop, get a few people to play it there. Then designers at Protospiel. That's what I did, and that will probably become a tradition at this point. Then more Discord playtesting. 
then blind play tests while like during the late stage of the game just release it online and get people to start doing that on tabletop sim yeah or send people a copy yeah and then after all that after all of that i will sit there and i'll play a hundred games until i'll actually call it done because that to me like after it's been blind play tested you still need to make sure that there are no weird edge cases that will ruin your game and the only way to do that is a large sample size. They don't even have to be blind play tests. Just you sit there and you test it a lot or you get somebody to do that for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, at the back of your mind, are you also... I mean, during the playtesting, do, do you get a lot of kind of ideas, feedback that has help really form the game and change the game i mean is there stuff in the playtesting where somebody's just went you know you should be doing this and you'd be like absolutely yeah thanks i've changed up probably half the event cards explicitly based on feedback from like protospiel mm-hmm. i've changed even more than that from discord too i've reduced the number of spaces on the board from I, like 400 to like 250 I cut like 30-40% away just to decrease visual clutter Yeah. because of you know some designers agreed it should and I'm like yeah that's a good idea it cut down on playtime yeah I made a lot of changes that that space one actually is really big because the byway cards all 72 of them reference the board game map to tell you where things are so if you change the board you have to change the card you change every, yep, yeah. every single one of them and that includes, I take it, all the um, highway, yeah, your your highway constructions, any events, and everything like that. Does that sometimes That's reference right. too? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I've cut I've cut the construction from ten letters down to five, mm-hmm. and that actually turned out to be really good because it became a lot more relevant. Yeah. In terms of like, say the the design and how it looks, um, with obviously Warco being kind of quite scientific were you were you conscious of trying to going for something of a a different style a more kind of family friendly cartoony type style or i mean what were your thoughts behind the kind of the the design aspect of it vorco is this weird dark and at the same time colorful apocalypse world like think like mad max fury road bright colors yeah. you know dismal future byways um, okay, so there is this very specific time in American culture, and, and maybe this maybe this is global, I'm not really sure, but there is this very specific time in American culture in like the late 60s, 70s, early 80s that you, sh- that you see captured in postcards and old hotel brochures and even in the architecture of some of the older motels on the road that I've been in that like speaks to this golden age of travel bright sharp colors um and and very specific kinds of fonts what i sh- what i aimed for was a nostalgic 70s feeling mm-hmm. after all was said and done okay and you can see that from the um from the artwork which will you know we'll put links to the show notes so that people can see the the kind of the art in it it's very um there's a little you know it's there's a wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of lens flare going on (laughs) to be honest (laughs) 
you know, it's very stylized. Mirror, yeah. mirror shades and stuff like that. But the, obviously, the game, you know, that you've got the the game is the good old map of the um, of the Americas, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. But it's quite bright. Pretty much, it's pretty. You know, it's bright. It's colorful. Um, oh yeah. It's the. It was the box was the brightest object in my living room for a while. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like it just printed brighter than I thought it would. You didn't have to bother putting the lights on at night. You just like opened a couple of cartons, no. <laughs> just like highways and byways could have sit there. I was like, wow, this is really. They they really were not joking when they said gloss finish. <laughs> you like walk into work and like the other the other people at your work are saying, Brandon, did you go on a sunbed? <laughs> Yeah, did you, you? You've got a sunburn. You've got like a healthy glow about you. You're sitting there, bright red, <laughs> bright red, looking like Optimus Prime, with the flame marks down the side. Going, no, I've been playtesting my game again. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a different. It is a different look. It's more of an. It's kind of a. It's a colorful. It's a beautiful kind of colorful, kind of box looking, and the artwork inside of it is. Is really kind of impressive. It's uh, and it's kind of something that if you put on the table, people would kind of notice, and you probably draw people to it, and they would go, "Well, what, what's kind of, kind of what, what's kind of going on?" Um, with you, with Warco, you had all the different factions at the back of your mind when you've been putting together highways and byways. Has there been an inkling of you maybe thinking about potential expansions that you could bring to the game and things like that? Because obviously you've got your cards. you still got quite a lot of cards in terms of how the game does. Have you thought about kind of expansions? You've obviously mentioned the kind of the vehicles as stretch goals, but have you already mapped out additional things that you could do? I've thought about expansions on both the games I've worked on so far, as well as other games that I would like to get to, too. Um... Like Warco, I've thought about making more cars, uh, more cards, more cars. Wow, um, more cards uh, later on in the future and releasing them as like a seventh or eighth deck. But I would be more excited, frankly, to do a different version of Byways, like an expansion of Byways mm. that was set in, say, Europe or Asia or Australia or South America or something like that. Yeah. Or even like just making a road trip Canada, and it, you would just like overlay it over the top of the, you know, the American board, <laughs> just, or Mexico. I mean, either one, either yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. No, that would that would be work. That would be cool. You could have your different and vehicles the as basics. well. Just the basics would still work. I would just have to find the right voice for different regions so that I could keep that byways tone, but also find the right cultural voice for another place. Yeah. No. It's really easy for me to lean into that old American lore. Mm-hmm. It would be harder for me to do the same thing for Europe or Australia or anywhere else. I could do it if I read enough, though, and play-tested with people around the area. Well, I think that gives you an excuse if the Kickstarter takes off for you to take, you know, a couple of months in Australia, a couple of months in Canada, a couple of months in Europe. <laughs> you could put it down and kind of write it off on tax bills as kind of like necessary investigation expenses kind of thing right <laughs> and see if i'm gonna just like put that down as as like research trip and i'm <laughs> exactly. gonna get a call from the i'm gonna get a call from the tennessee department of revenue <laughs> like um exactly did you really need to have all these hotel rooms in france yes yes we did yes this was critical to my yes, board game did. design yes. business yes we did i definitely needed to go to alsace <laughs> <laughs> 
definitely. And the skiing, <laughs> um, skiing was, you know, just one of these things. Um. <laughs> we, yeah, it's like they just like they're just reading through my transactions. One Delta airline ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> well, you know, people drive about Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they're they're not going to build a bridge from California anytime soon. Yeah, I know exactly. So, I got what well, what I'm expected to do? Swim. <laughs> but uh, that's my backup plan for getting to the UK in a pinch. <laughs> Just that's it. I'm I'm planning on doing an expansion to my board game. So please send me, please send me air tickets. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'm gonna just like check myself in a bag, and that's how I'm gonna get there. <laughs> do that. There's, people, I, there's probably people that have already done that, um, probably, but ended up in prison. Um, to be perfectly honest, and you don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna try that. I feel I like I would just get stopped by the TSA, and they'd be like, "What are you even doing? <laughs> just go home." Especially as they see you walking up to the baggage thing, and you've cut holes in the bottom <laughs> of the case. You see this case just walking up towards like the the baggage reel and it's like this guy just leans down just gonna, gives the thing a tap and then just goes Brandon what we know <laughs> we know you're in there it's not me it's someone else I'm just a suitcase <laughs> I'm just exactly I'm just a normal suitcase it's like you're not gonna <laughs> sing that I'm a suitcase song are you Brandon oh why not <laughs> Is that an is that an actual song? I, I might have to go. I do, I don't think it is. It probably is. There's some, probably something. Somebody's probably made. Somebody it. probably has made it. It's probably the flight of the Concords guys have made. I'm a suitcase. Um, I'm looking on Spotify <laughs> just, right check now. Check it just now. There probably is. There probably is a Spotify playlist for songs you should be playing if you're ever trapped in a suitcase. <laughs> there, there isn't, but there is a playlist with 122 followers called Suitcases and Staircases. So, Oh my goodness. It's, there you go. It's, it's just a gift that keeps on giving. Obviously, unless you're an artist <laughs> and then you get nothing off Spotify. Um, controversial. Um, have you thought about prices and things like that then for highways and byways core rewards going to be $49 and I'm still working out the shipping on that but I'm going to try and keep the shipping as low as I humanly can mm -hmm. Have like I'm going to try and make it free for the United States if at all possible I just need to crunch some numbers on that and what about things like into into Europe I mean are you looking at the, the kind of the customs friendly option and things like that is something that you've got to consider as well i'm definitely doing customs friendly it's not as hard to arrange as you might think it just looks really intimidating from the outside um you can do that through like games quest really easily um and as far as like getting it into europe uh, uk canada i would say probably like five dollars more than the u.s again gotta run numbers yeah probably another five on top of that for australia mm -hmm. or um, the rest of the world. Okay, okay. And the $49, that'll get you kind of like the base game, um, which seems to be you've got your map, you've got your cards, you've got your potential little cars once you get sorted out for that. You've got your your donkey and your penny farthing and <laughs> your... Um, I take it you're, you've got an evil can evil stretch goal as well, so you can go across uh, the Grand Canyon. I do now. <laughs> Have you got the A-Team van? Oh, yeah. I, 
I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to make a call for the right. I think you're gonna have to, because I can imagine the A team van, the road trip. Wow, and they would just be like impervious except to like snacks. <laughs> There'd be a milk. I might just do like an ice cream truck or something. <laughs> There'd be an event card that like would mean that if the A team van got like milk near it, then B A Baracus would freak out and he'd refuse to drive for three turns. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just think about it. Anyway, so you're thinking about um, potentially is it March? I think you said in the um, in the green room about potential launch for that. Last week of March is what I'm shooting for. Okay, when you're I mean, this is I guess this isn't a question that comes up. When you're doing the launch window for the Kickstarter, are you do you consciously make yourself aware of what is also going to be launching at the same time? That's why I haven't pinned down a specific date, because a lot of people wait just a little bit longer before they actually give you that date. But the idea does, like, it's crossed my mind. For me, it would be the difference between, say, like a March 19th, March 20th, March 26th, March 27th, or even April 3, April 4 kind of thing. Yeah. It wouldn't change my overall timetable too much, but... You know, you don't want to, you don't want to share the day with um, the next rising sun if you can avoid it, just because that will suck the oxygen right out of the room. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I've seen um, people that have been involved. I mean, this year there was, I mean, there was rising sun. There was um, seventh continent. <laughs> there was kingdom death. Oh my goodness! You know, there was all these huge hitters coming out, which, as you said, kind of suck the oxygen out of a lot of campaigns. I think. Uh, I think in is it um I think the middle of January is it not hate is coming out which I've for a campaign which everybody's going oh no um I've not I don't think I've checked it out fully but I know it's like the next big kind of big box game that Simon are going to be doing <laughs> which has led when I've read in the Kickstarter community people talking oh I'm launching mid January and the first thing people are saying is you are aware that hate is launching mid January and they're like um no <laughs> so well here's the thing I don't believe that there's any month that totally precludes you from succeeding or even if you share a day with somebody big you just every factor that you can have on your side you want to have on your side mm-hmm. like so that's why you don't launch at like 5 p.m. on a Sunday no no, I think you have to be aware. I think you have to be. I think there will be different communities that will build up around kind of like different products. And I think mm-hmm. if you've, as long as you've kind of got that community behind you, then I think you're not. I think, I think you have to expect some kind of effect on your campaign. You know, if you're going to be sitting there and you're you're doing a card game and you've got a seventh continent kind of storming up behind you like a rhino. Um, you know, that's just had some sunny delight. Um, you can expect it to kind of have an effect on how the campaign rolls, but um, I don't. I think it's very, very unpredictable because it, there's games out there that just seem to come from nowhere still and still seem to fund kind of yeah. very, very well. I think the last one I saw was Roots or Root, which was the that strategy game. You should, you should, you'd like that. Did you see that? That was kind of like. It's, I feel like I've seen that kind of It's kind of like a war like game. Yeah. yeah, it's like a wargaming type game, but the artwork is very, very kind of... It seems to be child-friendly, but from what yeah. I've heard about it, it's a very deep kind of tactical 
kind of game. So you would, uh, you, I think you might like that. I don't think Austin would like it, but you might, <laughs> you might like it. You kind of have to love those games that will just conceal a little bit of how complicated they are in their art. Like Advance Wars, oh, that's a video game, but that comes to mind. Yeah, that'll conceal its complexity in art. That's a brutally difficult game if you're a kid, anyway. Um, it's been a long time since I played it. It's been a long time since I've played it, but I was probably in my... I was probably very old when I started playing it, if it was on the old... I think it was the old Game Boy Advanced, potentially, I think. I jumped in on Dual Strike, and then I also got the gritty and dark reboot of uh, uh, Days of Ruin. Just, just leave it out, you know? It's fine. It was actually a good game, but you gotta... But the story is really tough to, to read as an adult. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was okay when I was, like, 14, but it's tough to read as an adult. Yeah. I appreciate what they were trying to do, though. I really, really do. Yeah, and it's, I'm surprised it's not being rebooted. Yeah. I'm surprised it's not going to appear on... It'd be good if it was on the Switch. Mm-hmm. That'd be an interesting game on the Switch. But we've got... Oh, man, I've fallen behind on my video games lately. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm now two consoles behind. I'm not cool anymore. Well, you know, I've just recently packed away the PlayStation 3 um, and, you know, the likes of... Yeah, because I, I just wasn't touching it. But I've still got my Wii U because you can put it on and you know it's fun. Um, my youngest son, he's five, and you can put on a Wii U game and say, there you go, as long as it's not Bayonetta or something like that, he's fine. It's like, there's, yeah. you know, there's Mario Land, there's uh, Mario and Luigi, there's Mario Kart, there's, you know, anything along those lines you can just jump on and, and play so it's all you know it's all really oh, yeah. really really good those fun those games are an absolute joy if you're a kid yeah which is but they can be technically or an adult but they can be technically good kind of good fun as well which is always good which mm-hmm. I think is where we are we kind of like you know we're getting there with board games I think the gritty greyness that you see in a lot of video games nowadays people are still willing to be very very um, colourful on the board games, because a colourful looking board game is a, is a thing of joy because you're putting it on your table, you're not just putting it on your TV, mm-hmm. which is which is an interesting thing. Which is why when you see, it's really strange because when you get games like, say, Cuphead coming out, which is like this almost like this interactive kind of almost Disney-esque kind of animation that came out, everybody goes, look at it, it looks amazing. It's like, well, if you stepped into the board game space, you would see literally hundreds of differently illustrated games that are all joyous right. and fun and colourful and lovely and stuff like that. But One of the beautiful things about board games as opposed to video games in that sense is that video games, at least what you see on the consoles, you are... you're well, they're big productions. They need teams of 100 or 200 or 300. I mean, who even knows? Um... And when you've got that much capital involved, you have to play it safe, and safe means making mass market and gritty yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Or a Mario game. I mean, Odyssey was the exception, but that's because they've got so much power in that intellectual property that they can take risks and they can do stuff that's just wild. Um, board games, it's uh, it's what you would call, I guess, a long-tail product. You can reach out to any... A group of 500 or a thousand um, people who have a very particular taste, and you can make something that is absolutely perfect for them and that will delight them. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I mean, um, Andrew Burkett um, from Atheris, he's just released Supernatural Socks. <laughs> which is a, a g- Supernatural Socks? <laughs> which is a game about ghosts that steal socks. 
you know, whereas... You know what, why not? You know, whereas at the same time, you've also got... Um, You've also got um, Colossal Games releasing Western Legends, which is all about ye olde Wild West. So, you know, those are two completely right. different styles of games, um, all very bright and all very colourful as well at the same time, so it's pretty cool. Um, I'm very, very conscious of the time. <laughs> of the time oh, because it's all it's right. Been, you know, but it's, um, if people have listened along today and they are interested in keeping an eye um, on your good self, where can they find you on the interweb nets Mr. Rollins on the internet web nets the easiest way to find me um, is either go to brandonthegamedev.com that's the blog or you can find me Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is brandongamedev okay and if you were really interested in Byways um, and you want to see what I do with that Kickstarter, if you're interested in backing, you can always get to either the email form or the Kickstarter through bywaysgamecom slash Kickstarter. There you go. And we will we will make sure that all those, we'll put the notes in the mm-hmm. show notes so that we've got notes to show. Okay? Mm-hmm. One last question, okay? You are heading off from Florida to Seattle. You're going on a road trip, okay? Okay. You have got to decide. You've a limited space because you're taking some supplies and you're just doing the whole driving, the couple of thousand miles or whatever it is, rather than take a plane like a sensible person. But you decide that you're going to take with you three board games. So what you do is you stop at Honest John's oldie board game emporium and honest john's board game emporium he's got a special offer on and he just basically says you can buy one game and you'll get another two free so faced with that you look at honest john's collection he's got every single game that there has ever been in existence he's got first editions second editions all the expansions the only thing is though that you have filled up your car with so much stuff to take on your road trip, you have only now got space for three board games. Brandon, what three board games do you take with you on your road trip? Now, the rules are quite simple. It's like, you can take anything at all. You can ask for anything at all. It will be there. It will exist. And secondly, it doesn't matter on the number of players because no matter where you stop off, whether it be a cheap motel or be... Um, a swanky resort or a nice restaurant if you go in with a board game and you ask people to play the answer is always going to be yes what three games do you take with you brandon oh shoot okay i gotta grab twilight struggle like that's not even a question <coughs> okay that's number one there's so much meta game around pandemic i gotta grab that too pandemic it's or... gonna be fun to play with a lot of people okay uh, probably netrunner too i'm gonna pick netrunner there you as go. well so that's three that's your three that's very very quick you sound like a man in the hurry. Stick your money on the desk, you get your three games, you jump into the car, you drive off down the road and Austin is running after you saying, what'd you forget about me for? He's like, you did, I, I'm like, I only had space for three board games. I don't know how I'm going to play them, but see ya. Exactly. Sorry, I don't have space for my brother. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, thank you very, very much for coming we'll, we'll, on. We'll get a we'll we'll get a rack for the top. <laughs> exactly. We'll time down. We'll get a skateboard and a bit of rope. He can kind of like trail behind. That's really that's a really <laughs> terrible thing to say. I haven't even met your brother, so I'm sure he's a lovely guy. If oh, you, he's a wonderful guy. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um, then there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can go on to Twitter. And you'll find us on We're Not Wizards. You can go onto Facebook and you'll find us on We're Not Wizards. You can go onto YouTube because our lovely podcasts hosts Podbean automatically put all our podcasts onto YouTube. And you can find us through it is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. You can find us on all your various kind of um podcast players so there's that there's stitcher and spreaker and acast and little pod knife that we do like um if you like what you've listened to today and there's no reason why you haven't because brandon has been an absolute joy to speak with um please jump on to apple podcasts and if you like us a little bit then please drop us a subscription um because that means that every time that you, somebody drops us a subscription, it means that 2018 is just going to get better and better for everybody. If you like us even more, then please feel free to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. And as we say, um, it may be a new year, but it's the same old joke. If you <laughs> Remember, if you are going to drop us a review, don't give us a 10, because that will make us big-headed. But don't give us a, a 1. Because that'll make us cry. Just kind of go in the middle. Be like average. Like a five. Because that is average. And we are decidedly average. But the gentleman who's not been average today is the wonderful, the fantastic, Mr. Brandon Rollins from Pangea Games. Oh, thank you. So thank you very, very much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad. As I say, it's just a chat. We might have accidentally recorded it and it might be going out in front of, you know, a few people, but that's just the way it is. Um, there are only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Brandon? No, I don't believe we are. We definitely are not. We are burning that rubber down the highway, windows down, wind through our hair catching the sun, catching some tunes, stopping off maybe for a bite to eat onward to our journey and our destination. And the second thing to do is to say goodbye way. <laughs> so it's a goodbye way from Brandon. Say goodbye. Goodbye way, everybody. Thank you for listening. Have an awesome day. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, rule sixes. We, of course, will have lots of links for you to look at in the show notes. We're going to be keeping an eye on what Brandon's going to be doing with his Kickstarter campaign come the end of March, and you can guarantee that we will be making everybody aware of it when it does launch out there. Um, <clears throat> again, thank you for everybody that listened and supported to us last year. We still have... Um, We've got a lot of guests coming on 2018. Some really, really interesting people. So stay tuned. Um, but until the next time, it is a big goodbye and happy new year from myself. So bye. <laughs>